0: From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. This is Catholic Military Life, a podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And for this edition, our topic is child sexual abuse, and I'm privileged to have as my guest His Excellency Bishop Bill Mum of the Archdiocese for the Military Services and Mrs. Carrie Bukalu. Uh, welcome, both of you. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. And uh, the reason we're uh, discussing this topic with both of you is that you have come out with a book you've jointly authored. The title of the book is Matthew 18, a conversation between a survivor of child sexual abuse and a Catholic bishop. That Catholic bishop, of course, is you, Bishop Mum. Yes. And the survivor of child sex abuse is uh, you, Ms. Buccolo. Yes, that's right. Uh, So, well, let's start at the beginning. How in the world did you
1: guys come together and decide to write a book. It was the first year that I was serving as a bishop for AMS, and I was assigned, and I'm still assigned, to the Europe and Asia Vicariate. So it was, it was my first pastoral visit to the Army post in Hohenfels, Germany, and celebrated Mass for the first time ever. And after Mass, Carrie and her family were there, and Carrie came and asked me if I knew a mutual friend that, that we both are friends with and I said of course I do and that's really where the friendship started
0: I see so uh, what uh, motivated you to approach Bishop Mum?
2: well so our mutual friend her name is Rita Simmons and she's a poet uh, right and she writes for Magnificat and I also write for Magnificat and so Rita mentioned that I should reach out to Bishop Mom, that he had been a good friend of hers, and uh, she was excited. We were both in the same place at the same time, and so she wanted me to go and introduce myself and say hello from her, and uh, we just took it from there.
0: So how long ago was it that you two came together? That was in February of 2020. Okay, and since then, you have collaborated on this book. Uh, Once again, the title, Matthew 18, A Conversation Between a Survivor of Child Sexual Abuse and a Catholic Bishop. Uh, I want to know all about why you chose Matthew 18, but first let me ask uh, Ms. Buccalow, obviously you're a survivor of child sex abuse, but what can you share with us about that experience?
2: Yes, so um, I'm a survivor of abuse. It was uh, my own biological father, and he was a lay minister in the Catholic Church, And uh, I was abused for the first 18 years of my life and uh, ended up running away from home and joining the Carmelites of Santa Fe. And while I was in the monastery, uh, my dad was arrested for childhood sexual abuse and uh, I was interrogated up at the monastery. And so uh, long story short, it was uh, a very difficult and challenging time for both me and my other family members so my father was in jail and it just took a really long time for for us to uh get the help we needed legally and the courts of the state of new mexico worked on the case and it was just it was a hard case it took a lot of time and effort from everybody and it's um believe it or not still ongoing after 21 years
0: Wow. And obviously you separated from the monastery.
2: Yes. It wasn't that much longer afterwards um, after I was interviewed by detectives and social workers and you name it. And remember, I'm in a monastery, so I'm living a life of silence and solitude. And so when something like this um, comes up, it's very painful and I needed help. And so it was in my best interest to uh, leave the monastery and get um, help from therapists and counseling, and that's exactly what I did. And uh, so that, that's a little bit of my, my journey as a survivor in the church. Um, and
0: uh, I see. Uh, you're married now. Yes. Uh, and your husband is in the service.
2: Yes. So uh, I would like to just share with you sure, um, a fun little story about my husband and I. So before I entered the Carmelite Monastery, um, I did meet my husband, Justin. He was working at St. Thomas Aquinas in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. He was the, youth, uh, the assistant youth director there. And we met, and I just remember thinking, wow, he's an amazing guy. And uh, he went to the Carmelite Monastery not too long after that uh, for a visit. He was thinking of being a priest, and so the Carmelites allowed him to come and visit. During that visit, he fell in love with me and he prayed that I would leave the monastery somehow so he could marry me, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) And a year and a half later, I left for family reasons. It was all involving my dad and the court case and me needing therapy and help. But I ended up leaving and when he found out, uh, he reached out and the rest was history.
0: I see. And so you all are now based in Germany?
2: We were. We were stationed in Germany. Um, We are currently in Kansas and always in transition. But uh, yes, so after youth ministry, my husband joined the United States Army, and he has been serving for the last 13 years.
0: Bishop Mum, how does Matthew 18 come into this discussion?
1: Well, Carrie started to talk to me about um, her desire to help other individuals in the church and that would be both within the military and in the civilian sector. Any other individuals in the church who may have been victims or survivors of childhood sexual abuse at the hands of someone who represented the church. So in Carrie's case, that, that was not a priest, but it was someone who represented the church because he was a, a lay minister. But Carrie said, uh, we started talking about this, and 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 Carrie has been writing, and she's been trying to reach out to other or offer help to other survivors, sort of uh, on, trying to build her own connections, and so she proposed to me that uh, at one point that we might write a book, and the topic, Matthew 18, came out of Carrie's COVID experience.
0: Oh, okay, that sounds like an interesting cue. I want to hear all about that.
2: All right, so, yeah, we were overseas stationed in Germany, and uh, we were trying to survive covid like everyone else around the world with all of our kids and in our community. And it was the winter of 2020 in December when I came down with covid and uh, I got very sick and I ended up having to go into the hospital. And I really thought I was on my last leg, to tell you the truth. It was a very scary experience. I didn't think I was going to come back from it. But uh, thank God I did. I'm here. And in my recovery process, um, I picked up the Gospel of Matthew and I read Matthew very slowly starting from chapter one all the way through. And when I got to the section of uh, the 18th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, I was very moved. I, I love scripture. I've been reading the word of God my whole life. Uh, it's one of the greatest treasures in my life. And this time when I read it, it really, really hit me that our Lord was there and our Lord was present to children who were facing things that perhaps were very difficult to talk about at that time, 2000 years ago, that perhaps people didn't have the language for. Um, I'm sure it just like for for so many years it's been it was taboo probably to talk about it so the fact that our lord opened up and said here's this child he says that if anyone harms a little one who believes in him it would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and to be drowned in the in the depths of the sea and at that moment it hit me just how upset our lord was at the issue of of um harming children how horrible it is to harm a child and as I read through the entire chapter of Matthew 18 I really saw something that related to my experience I felt like our Lord's words were for me in particular and for every other survivor of childhood abuse and I was very moved and I as I was reading it I shared it with Bishop um, and he also thought that there was something very important here
0: And Bishop Mum, what was it about Matthew 18 that was important in your view?
1: This is something I never would have seen unless Carrie pointed it out. But if you read through the chapter 18 in the Gospel of Matthew, it seems to provide in a nutshell an entire overview of the Lord's approach to those who have suffered sexual abuse at the hands of someone who who represented the church. Because not only does it talk about the, the gravity and the seriousness and, and the, 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 the evil of childhood sexual abuse, but it also talks about, uh, the Lord talks about, about if one sheep wanders away, then the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. That's very important in this case because if anyone ends up leaving the church or, or losing their faith over being abused then the lord wants that person back in the church not only for the sake of that survivor but for the sake of everyone else in the church who can benefit from someone who comes back so when the one sheep comes back the other 99 also benefit see because the church is a living organism it's a community and then the chapter also brings in the whole idea of the proper response when someone commits a sin what's the what's the right response what's the wrong response and there's a beautiful section within that chapter on forgiveness. So to me, it all fits.
0: You're listening to Catholic Military Life, a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services. And our topic today is a book called Matthew 18, A Conversation Between a Survivor of Child Sexual Abuse and a Catholic Bishop, available on Amazon. And the uh, co-authors are here with me, Ms. Carrie Bukolo and Bishop Bill Mum. Uh, so, how did you two decided? Okay, we're going to write a book about this. And how did the book come about? How did you write the book? Did you did you trade manuscripts or did you record uh, conversations? Or- well,
1: it's it's, it's it started out with a conversation, and and we we, we were not able to meet face to face that much because COVID was still happening, but we were able to a few times during the pandemic and you know, on my visits to Hohenfels. And, and as Carrie said Justin is a, he's he's in the US Army he's a soldier so um, I, I could see the people when I celebrated mass but uh, we couldn't really socialize together officially right but at any rate so so Carrie proposed this that this that this is a need in the church for those who have faith wounds and and they need to come back so we, uh, really it was it started the, the it started out from a a a face-to-face or a video conversation about how we might be able to write something together that would benefit not only the, the survivors themselves, but, but maybe the entire church could, could benefit from, from laying out a schema of some sort to invite people to come back in. And our book is written not from a legal perspective or not from a psychological perspective, but from a faith perspective.
0: I so, see, so, um Carrie, tell me a little bit more about faith wounds. Uh, you know, we often hear sometimes abuse survivors blame themselves for what happened. Uh, is that part of it, or what what is the nature of the faith wounds that come about as a result of child sex abuse?
2: Okay, so thank you so much for asking that because that is a very important question. Um, Faith wounds is a term that I developed years ago when I was writing the spiritual journey of healing um, back in 2010. And I wrote it because I was very moved by the treasures that the church had in the saints, in the Carmelite charisms in particular, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and in uh, Veditati Splendor, which is John Paul II's encyclical on the splendor of truth. So I had a great treasures and resources to work through and what i experienced personally was like a damaged faith life because of what had happened to me and i needed a way to communicate that to other people to say look what happened to me as an as a child i was innocent i did not choose these things and yet i was very harmed by them and so for me yes i could look at it from a legal perspective i was hurt as a human person. I could look at it from um, the clinical psychology side and say, yes, I'm a trauma survivor. But then there was something deeper than that. I was affected in the way I could pray, in the way I could love God, in the way I could go to church, go to mass on Sundays. All of that was affected by the abuse. And I wanted a way to communicate that, that really just got to the core and the heart of it. So the term that ended up coming to my mind was, look, it's my faith that was wounded. It was my faith that was harmed because of what happened to me. The reason being that, yes, it was a grave matter. Childhood sexual abuse is always a grave matter. But what made it worse was that it was committed by someone who reflect, represented God and the church to me. Parents represent God's image to their children. But then my dad, being a very active lay minister in the church, those connections also harmed me in in my faith journey. And so that's where the term faith wounds came from, because I wanted to be able to express, yes, I'm harmed body, mind and soul. I need to find a way to communicate what I need from the church as a whole. In order to keep my faith and to practice it as a survivor
0: and your abuser was not only a representative of the church but your father so that's a double whammy
2: there yes it is unfortunately and as I've talked with survivors over the last 20 years I'm sad to say this but it's a lot more common than people think a lot of children are abused in the home by their own parents grandparents Uh, aunts and uncles or close family members or like people that that are close to the family. And so it is a double whammy for those survivors who have something like this happen with someone not only reflecting the church, but also somebody reflecting God's own likeness and image uh, in the family circle.
0: And I uh, suspect that at the heart of that is a breach of trust. Yes. Uh, because trust is bound up in faith, it seems. Right, right, Bishop?
1: Absolutely. So uh, I know that moral injury is a topic that we've become very aware of in the past few years. And this, this is related to that. This is, this is a moral injury, but with a faith dimension. I see. So what
0: is your hope people will take away from this book? What do you hope people will get
1: from it? My hope and my prayer is that those who could benefit from reading our book will somehow find it and that they'll, they'll be able to get something out of it that will help bring them back to the faith. And this because I think this is very much needed for the sake of the survivors themselves, but for the entire church.
0: Uh, Carrie, in spite of your experience, which went on for years when you were a child, you didn't lose your faith. How, uh, how did you keep your faith in all of this?
2: So the, the main reason I kept my faith is because there was a miracle that happened. I mean that that's really the only explanation. I can't sit here and tell you that I have any kind of special superpowers or that I'm extra strong or something like that because I'm not. I'm honestly just a normal, normal gal. So um, the reason I was able to keep my faith is because that faith was given to me as a gift. Um, uh, my father had told me when I was a child around five six seven years old that um he wanted me to be very obedient to him and let him do whatever he wanted to me in the spirit of our blessed mother because she said yes to whatever god asked her to do and so he clearly he was he there's there's lots of words can be said but just clearly that that was incredibly twisted and wrong of him to do anything like that it was diabolical on on to say the least. So there was no way as a child that I could figure out how to navigate through that complex uh, twisting of faith. I I think that is incredibly complex. So for a child to be able to navigate that on their own is like would be impossible. But thankfully, um, heaven stepped in and helped me out. So when I was around seven years old, um, I was playing by myself in 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 my bedroom and I saw a bright, beautiful light and I walked towards it. And, um, right in my dining room area, um, I saw the most beautiful woman I had ever seen in my life. And she was radiant like the sun and she held a child in her arms. And I immediately recognized him as baby Jesus. And she wanted to talk to me. And she said, Carrie, what your dad is doing to you is very wrong. God is very angry. This is not okay. I want you to go and tell him that the mother of god is asking him to stop stop touching you stop touching your sisters stop because what he is doing is so wrong and god is very angry and if he listens and he stops god can forgive him and he can have god's you you can have god's light back in your family again but then when she looked at me she asked me the hardest question ever she asked if I would be willing to say yes to God no matter what happened. And in that moment, I really did see, you know, that I had a very hard, difficult path ahead of me. And in that moment, she really, I really feel she gave me a piece of her grace, a piece of her strength in front of God where I was able to keep my faith. And I cannot explain it any other way. I can't sit here and say, that I figured out some amazing thing and that's why I kept my faith as a survivor or that I have, like I said, like I have some sort of superpower, I don't. I'm just as weak and wounded as everyone else. But Our Lady's words to me and just her motherly presence and the fact that she pointed out a lie, she pinpointed a lie inside of me and her stance of love and beauty and truth in front of that Changed my life forever. Yes,
1: and could I just add too that when someone in the church is given a special grace or a special gift, that's not only for the sake of that person individually; it's for the sake of the entire church.
0: Understood. So, Carrie, did you go talk to your dad and do what? The-
2: yes, I I went right to my dad immediately. I told him exactly what happened. I was very scared. Because my father was very intimidating, especially in the areas of faith and spirituality, because he often used the things of faith and spirituality to try to trick me into allowing him to do things. And so I was very scared. Um, I remember very clearly um, just being very, very very frightened. And uh, I told him, I said, the mother of God just told me that you need to stop touching our private parts. It's wrong. God is mad, but he can forgive. And my dad got very angry and he told me I didn't know anything because I was just a stupid child. And um, I ran away and hid and just prayed that um, that our lady would come back. She never did in, in the way that I wanted her to, you know, come back again where I could see her. But I know that she's been here with me and the church and the whole church and the whole world. I know that. And so she was with me. And so I, I knew that I, I could keep, my faith if, if I just kept standing in that space, the space of that yes to God.
0: Okay, I'd like to ask both of you, uh, for the benefit of the person out there listening to this podcast who's been the victim of child sex abuse, hasn't dealt with it yet, hadn't started to deal with it, uh, what's your advice, starting with you, Bishop Bill Mom?
1: Yes, I would say that it's very important that any survivor of uh, childhood sexual abuse that involved the church, that they approach the victim advocate for whatever diocese they belong to. That's very important. And so legal steps have to be taken immediately, as well as uh, psychological uh, counseling is, in, is very much needed. But I would also ask, from a faith perspective, that anyone who could benefit from reading our book, please give it a reading. It's only about 50-some pages. And I think it can be very, very helpful. But anyone is invited to read the book, not just survivors.
2: And uh, yes, I would definitely say um, it's hard as a survivor facing this. um, It's even harder when you have to face it alone. And so, uh, like I said, I've been battling my father in court for the last 21 years. And that's incredibly long. It shouldn't take that long to um, take care of legal issues at all. But what i'm trying to say is i know what this is like i know how hard it is to expose someone or to uh tell the truth speak the truth you know to do the right steps so like bishop said contact the victim's advocate do those police reports like have those interviews make sure that you're um honest in front of this because that's the only way we can say yes to god is if we're honest with ourselves first and then As far as faith goes, um, yes, definitely read the book. I have also The Spiritual Journey of Healing on my website. And whatever you may need um, to keep your faith and to practice your faith and to live a very healthy faith life, I think all of that is possible for survivors within the church because we have everything we need. It's just a matter of tapping into those resources, tapping into those graces, Um, that our Blessed Mother has for us, that the church has for us. We have the sacraments. We have an incredible strength in our saints. And I feel like we have so much here to help us. It's just a matter of tapping into it and finding it and discovering what treasures we have.
0: What more can we do to address the faith wounds victims of child abuse suffer?
1: I think it's important to recognize, uh, like Carrie mentioned a minute ago, that there are many, many survivors of childhood sexual abuse. And as time goes on, I think we're realizing that this has been a major problem in all cultures, all peoples throughout history. But especially nowadays, uh, it's, it's very, very important that in the, in, in, the, in the present day and age when we seem to be so autonomous and so compartmentalized in our society— that, as Carrie mentioned, the community dimension of of healing is so important. So, if we can get someone, uh, in, can, in, if we can get someone connected with Christ and His Church through the sacraments, then that person is going to be okay.
0: What are some of the telltale signs that adults who work with children should notice uh, indicators of possible sex abuse? Teachers, parents, what, can you think of any any uh symptoms that uh, express themselves
1: it, there's there's a whole body of training on this uh, and I know that the Arsha military services subscribes to the virtuous model and there's monthly training on that and and that training is for everyone all adults who are involved in working with children and there are many things to be careful of and really ongoing training is needed at all times.
0: And Bishop, Mom, what would your personal message be to a victim of child sex abuse who comes to you and says, look, fo- Bishop, I've lost my faith, you know, what, what's your advice?
1: Yes, well, this, what we're trying to say in the book is that anyone who may have lost their faith over this, that that's a tragedy, but that that's not the end of the story because our Lord Jesus Christ wants every survivor back, and our Lord wants every survivor fully alive in Him. Not just for that person's eternal happiness, but for the benefit of any number of other people in the church who could benefit from having that survivor back in the church fully alive.
0: Uh, Carrie, has this book been a catharsis for you? Has it helped you heal?
2: Well, I'm really excited with the book, yes. In many ways it has because... One of the biggest losses I think I've experienced as a survivor is that loss of a sense of community, that feeling of isolation, that I'm practicing my faith all alone. And that's not how our faith is made to, to work. Our, our faith is made to be lived in community. And so through this book, I was so happy that I could have this conversation with Bishop Mum, And I'm so happy that we can share this conversation, which is uh, on the, the gospel message, of Christ's love and hope and healing because now I realize how much happiness I have in being a part of a church who can see me, who can incorporate my story into the church's story. And that is a huge gift to me. So I don't have to live my faith alone.
0: Carrie, is there anything in your military experience that, uh, uh, that has helped you confront your own experience but could help others.
2: Yes, so in the military, um, in the army, we have a saying, no soldier left behind. And I absolutely love that saying because I feel it can be applied to the Catholic Church as well because we are a church militant. And so I think it's a great uh, saying to adopt, Uh, no soldier left behind, no member of Christ left behind. So these children who are abused or these vulnerable persons who are abused are members of Christ's body, the church. So when they're hurt or wounded, we need to help lift them up, carry them, and help them come back into the into the church, not leave them wounded back behind by themselves.
0: I've been talking to Carrie Bukolo and Bishop Bill Mom, the Episcopal vicar for military installations in Europe and Asia. That's a big territory.
1: Yes, two continents.
0: <laughs> and uh, our topic has been... Uh, Child sexual abuse and um, Ms. Buckelow and Bishop Mum have just come out with a book called uh, Matthew 18, a conversation between a survivor of child sexual abuse and a Catholic bishop. It's available on Amazon, uh, on Kindle. You can get it for $5.99, paperback ten ninety-nine. dollars um, Carrie, Bishop Mum, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank
1: you, Taylor.
2: Thank you, Taylor.
0: Catholic Military Life is a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, erected by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985 to provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, and the government's civilian workforce beyond U.S. borders. 1.8 million American Catholics worldwide depend on the Archdiocese and its endorsed chaplains for pastoral care. For more information, visit milarch.org, the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, serving those who serve serve.